When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Since you're listening to this podcast, you probably grew up in the 80s. If you did, you will no doubt remember the seismic shift that MTV had on pop culture. But if you're younger and didn't grow up in the 80s, MTV has continued to have an influence on you to this day. Music and pop culture has obviously always had a major impact on young people, but never quite like it did in the 80s when MTV was introduced to the world. I'm Jamie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on everything that made the 80s such a beloved decade. And this episode is all about a new era of pop culture. It's the time when video genuinely killed the radio star. This is the story of the MTV generation. today, music videos may be kind of a weird thing. And for these younger people, if they're even watching TV anymore, they've probably never seen a music video on TV because they just don't exist there. They're definitely still important, but they've now taken up residence on places like YouTube. But there was a time when music videos ruled the TV landscape. I was only around four or so when MTV first debuted, so it obviously didn't have any impact at that point, but I was right in the wheelhouse when it picked up its steam going into the mid and late 80s. At first, we didn't have as much exposure to it here in Canada, but the format existed in our own version called Much Music. But either way, they were both playing the same videos and groundbreaking shows like Yo! MTV Raps. Eventually, we would have access to both music channels. The story of MTV is how they changed the landscape of pop culture and forever changed the way we consume music. But how did we get here? MTV was a channel created by Viacom Media Networks, and our story starts back in 1977 with the possibility of the creation of specialty channels. Warner Cable, which was a division of Warner Communications, had launched the first two-way interactive cable television system in Columbus, Ohio. It was called Cube, Q-U-B-E, and it could offer several specialty channels. One specialty channel they had was called Sight on Sound. It was a music channel, but showed clips from certain concerts and shows that were music-oriented. There weren't really music videos to speak of then, so it was more of a channel to showcase music in various formats. Cube was intended as an interactive channel, and viewers could engage by voting on things like their favorite artists, songs, and albums. If there are any kids listening to this episode, these were pretty archaic times, and the way we voted and interacted with shows like this was through home telephones and an ancient system called Mail. But the idea of an all-music channel seemed pretty intriguing. Maybe it could be taken in a more advanced direction. Robert W. Pittman would be at the forefront of creating MTV. 
He had this idea in the back of his head when he used to host a 15-minute show called Album Tracks in New York on WNB-TV in the late 70s. This idea and the new interactive format being used by Warner Cable would set the stage for MTV. And this may all have its roots with the Beatles and New Zealand. Pittman had a boss that was instrumental in the history of MTV named John Lack. Lack had tried out a show called Pop Clips. Pop Clips was the creation of former member of the Monkees, Mike Nesmith. Nesmith was inspired by seeing this format work in New Zealand on a show called Radio and Pictures. Radio and Pictures had come out in 1976, and it was a concept that had been around since the mid-60s. As pop culture continued to explode in the 60s, music, primarily from America and the UK, was being spread all over the world. Music videos did not exist yet, so to see a band on TV, like the Beatles, meant having to watch a live performance. Since a country like New Zealand was so far away, it made promoting yourself and your music pretty difficult. A solution arose when the New Zealand Broadcasting Corporation started working with the record labels. They figured out it would work best for the labels to supply promotional music clips that they could play on air in New Zealand for no charge. Their artists would now get the extra exposure in a remote and English-speaking part of the world without having to make the super long trip to get there. The concept for a new American music channel was coming together, and the format would involve playing these video clips of current songs. It's not that music videos didn't exist, but they were definitely not commonplace. The idea with MTV was to simply play the videos and music clips they had, but keep them playing 24 hours a day. On August 1st, 1981, at 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time, we heard this. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. TV debuted with those words, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. This was spoken by John Lack and was played over footage of the countdown to the launch of the space shuttle Columbia. This kicked into that original MTV theme song, while an image of an American flag on the moon changed to the MTV logo. The logo would change through various textures and designs, and this was one of the first uses of the Memphis design, which was a new style that would define the aesthetic and design of the 1980s. And what was the very first video to play after this on MTV? You better know this as it's 80s Trivia 101. The answer is, of course, Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. But here's one for your next candlelight dinner party. What was the second video to ever play on MTV? That would be You Better Run by Pat Benatar. So what were those early days at MTV like? The concept of playing music videos 24-7 was clearly a new one and there were some obvious growing pains right from the get-go. Unfortunately, the technology was not quite there yet and you would often see periods of complete black on the screen as an employee would have to physically switch tapes into a new machine called a VCR. Kids, you'll have to ask your parents about that one. There were a lot of repeats because in those early days they only had a few hundred music videos in their system. 
They would also have to put in stock NASA footage at 20 past the hour for what was called local avail. Local avail is where local cable companies could sell advertising. The problem was no one wanted to buy advertising, so they were stuck having to fill the empty time slot. A lot of people would think that the stock NASA footage were actual videos. The thing was, even though MTV started out only playing in certain markets and not attracting a lot of advertisers at first, it really was still a success right out of the gate. Local record stores that were in locations where MTV was available started selling more records for songs that weren't being played on the radio. Some of these early unknown bands and artists included Men at Work, The Human League, and Bow Wow Wow. The exposure from MTV was generating millions of sales of their records. The quick response, noticed specifically in record stores who started installing TVs to play MTV to increase record sales, was happening within just two months of the launch. And they were starting to notice something unexpected. The original target audience for MTV was going to be between 12 to 34 years of age. After doing some research, they found that over 50% of the audience was actually between 12 and 24 years. They also found that this age range watched more MTV for an average of at least 30 minutes up to two hours. People were captivated by all these music videos and the fact that's all that was on. There wasn't any six o'clock news, no weather reports or scripted programming. It was just music. You could turn on MTV at any hour of the day and watch music videos. There was, of course, a big appeal to college students who were, let's just say, burning the midnight oil. And probably as they intended, older people didn't totally get what MTV was all about. This furthered the appeal of MTV because younger people are drawn like a moth to a flame by anything their parents hate. And then news reports started to spread the awareness of this new all-music channel. The record industry has found a marriage with television. The results are videos, top musical hits put to pictures. Another result is MTV, Music Television, a nationwide cable channel. People weren't exactly sure how to react to these videos. Some of the news reports would describe these strange music videos as, quote, video clips where the singers often become actors in rock operettas, mouthing the lyrics to their records, unquote. Eventually, one of the best campaign slogans of the 80s emerged, as everyone would want their MTV. America! Demand your MTV! I want my MTV! I want my MTV! I want my MTV! Call your cable company and say, I want my MTV! That was the police there singing at the end of that. And that relates to the early days of MTV. The channel would see some of its most massive growth because of that small island in the North Sea that has been instrumental in modern music. Everyone knows about the first British invasion, which obviously includes groups like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Dave Clark Five, Herman's Hermits, the Hollies, the Animals, Led Zeppelin. But a second British invasion happened in this new age of video. And it was primarily because of one TV show, Top of the Pops. If this is new to you, Top of the Pops was a British music show on the BBC that started in 1964 and ran all the way until 2006. It was a British music chart TV show where popular acts would come on to perform if they were that week's best-selling artist. 
This show is a huge part of British culture and would always lead to the coveted Christmas number one spot. Except for that one year when Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine beat out Joe from X Factor. Brits will know what I'm talking about here. The acts on top of the pops would usually lip sync their songs and sometimes would play to backing tracks to try to recreate the exact song from the record. Bands in England were used to having to go on TV and perform somewhat of a live music video. There would also be pre-recorded clips showcasing the band. But the main thing here was that British bands knew how important appearance was, specifically television appearance. They also knew how to present their music and aesthetic in a short time frame. Artists in the UK knew that if they wanted to succeed, they had to look good on television. MTV was tailor-made for British artists. In North America, bands just had to worry about creating a great song, album, and concert experience. They didn't really have to appear on TV and definitely didn't have to worry about a music video. In England, if you were going to be successful, you would have to appear on top of the pops and get used to being recorded by cameras. Whereas North American artists would play to the back of the room, British artists knew how to perform for the camera. They had learned how to engage with a viewing audience via a camera lens. They were able to nail performances in one take or for pre-recorded bits, they were aware of everything that went into production. Little did they know how Top of the Pops was inadvertently training them to be successful on MTV. Since they had watched Top of the Pops through the 60s and 70s, kids in Britain who would become musicians were used to this music video format. When it came time for a new generation of artists to get in front of the camera, they were completely ready. Going into the 80s, new artists and bands had already appeared on TV multiple times and knew the importance of production values and appearance. So when MTV launched, bands like Duran Duran, Spandu Ballet, The Kinks, and The Culture Club were completely ready and embraced this new music video television. For the Brits, this form of music presentation was already in their DNA. Some of them had already been making full-on music videos too. Basically, they had a massive leg up on the rest of the world as they knew how to make these short films and look good in them too. Some big American rock bands were having trouble with this new video format and just didn't know how to present themselves. And also, a lot of them weren't exactly very easy on the eyes. But Duran Duran was one of the most notable bands from those early days. Duran Duran was able to create quite a frenzy in the States as younger adoring fans had been watching them for a while on MTV and they liked what they saw. Again, I'm not sure how old you are, so you may not remember this, but in the early 80s, there was legitimate hysteria for Duran Duran. It honestly was not unlike the response for groups like New Kids on the Block, NSYNC, The Backstreet Boys, even Bieber. But Duran Duran was, you know, actually talented. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I love all those bands. Everyone's great. Eventually, all the record labels realized how important music videos were, and artists who were opposed really didn't have a choice. A music video was basically a three-minute commercial that could be used to sell the record. Everyone knew what a DJ was, but what the hell was a VJ? Well, they were instrumental in the growth of new artists and the medium as a whole. At first, MTV wanted to go with more album-oriented rock, featuring more well-known and established bands. The problem was that they found out their audience was younger than they thought. 
This is what caused him to move into more top 40 bass music. But another problem was a lot of the music in the top 40 was by unknown new singers and bands. You couldn't go on Apple Music or Spotify and look up new featured artists. There weren't any social media promotions or paid spots featuring new young talent. I'm not saying it's easy, but today there are so many more tools and outlets to showcase new artists and music. Back in the 70s and 80s, it was almost primitive. MTV was instrumental in opening up the public to a range of artists and music we would probably never have heard of. Some of these examples would be new wave and more electronic dance-based music. Thankfully, disco had finally suffered the horrible, miserable death it deserved, and new genres had begun to fill the void. But how was all this new music and these new artists going to be presented? The aging rockers of the 70s would not be their core audience, and neither would their presenters. MTV would use younger presenters to introduce these new videos and artists and appeal to a younger demographic that was embracing this all-music channel. The term video jockey, or VJ, was born. Some of those first VJs at MTV were Mark Goodman, Nina Blackwood, Alan Hunter, JJ Jackson, and Martha Quinn. As MTV grew in popularity, the VJs began to become celebrities in their own right. These people were in our living rooms every day and seemed like big brothers, sisters, or older cousins that knew what was cool. The VJs also became influential in their own right as their individual style would be an influence on many people. Sometimes MTV would use guest VJs such as Adam Ant, Billy Idol, Phil Collins, or Simon LeBon. Arguably one of the most famous VJs of all time would be downtown Julie Brown. Brown was the host of the club MTV show from 1987 until 1992. Julie Dorn Brown was from the UK and had actually been a dancer on top of the pops. The show she hosted was one of the first that exclusively played dance music. And fun fact, Julie Brown won the World Disco Dancing Championship in 1979. I'm not saying downtown Julie Brown was Madonna or Michael Jackson, but you could make the case that for a while, she was as influential as any musical artist being played on MTV. The interesting thing about Club MTV is that it borrowed the format of Dick Clark's American Bandstand, but featured modern dance music. This was a very unique combination of the past and present coming together, and downtown Julie Brown was the perfect host. She brought that British flavor and style to North America and made MTV feel much more expansive and not just limited to the U.S., Everything 80s will return after these messages. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. But we can't discuss the history of MTV without discussing one glaring issue from early on. It's crazy to think about, but despite the massive amount of incredible and influential black musicians in the 80s, MTV was not exactly playing many of them at first. During those very early days, there was just one black group being featured on MTV. They were a British band called The Specials, who were made up of black and white performers. There was the thought that MTV wasn't featuring many black artists at first because they intended to be a rock-based FM radio-style music station. And remember, the original plan was for MTV to follow a rock format. But this really wasn't the case anymore. I can't say that Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper is a classic rock track and, you know, sits alongside the likes of ACDC. But this whole issue started to create a stir. A TV news report by CBS in 1983 had looked into the issue. Promotion managers for black-owned companies have yet to get a video on MTV. I was hoping that they would at least accept the song for the song and the um, creativity for the creativity. They stated how a Gladys Knight and the Pips video would not get as many views or seen at all as anything soulful made by, say, Hall & Oates. The news reports even made claims that videos by Rick James were rejected. MTV obviously had a massive issue on their hands. In a letter to Digital Music News, MTV co-founder Les Garland said that, no, MTV did not refuse to air black musicians. And they were definitely playing videos by black artists such as Tina Turner, Donna Summer, Eddie Grant, and Prince, but it just didn't seem like it was at the same rotation as the white artists. But this issue was enough to cause turmoil. There were even rumors that Rick James had allegedly sued them. However, it was the great David Bowie that really brought this issue to the forefront. Bowie appeared on an interview on MTV in 1983 to talk about his new album, Let's Dance, but soon steered the conversation in a new direction. Bowie, aware of the lack of black artists on MTV, brought it up in the interview with Mark Goodman. I'd like to ask you something. I'm see, you know, all right. Um, it, it occurred to me, having watched MTV over the last few months, um, that it's, it, it's, got, it's a solid enterprise with it and it's got a lot going for it. I'm just floored by the fact that there's so, many bl so few black artists featured on it. Why is that? I think that we're trying to move in that direction. We want to play artists that seem to be doing music that fits into what we want to play for MTV. There's th the company is thinking in terms of narrow casting. That's evident. Um, it's evident in the fact that the only few black artists that one does see are on about 2.30 in the morning or, in, or to around 6. Very few are featured predominant, no. predominantly during the day. No, that, uh, that's a... I'll say that over the last couple of weeks these things have been changing, but it, it's, no, uh, it's a I slow process. You can still watch the entire interview on YouTube, but Bowie had brought up some very important points. Bowie didn't care if the interview got awkward, which it certainly did at times. He was going to use his time to bring up this important issue. The main thing was there was now awareness of the lack of heavy airplay for black artists on MTV. And then Michael Jackson moonwalked. Michael Jackson was obviously a big star in 1983, but Thriller had just come out and he wasn't the king of pop and an absolute phenomenon quite yet. 
On May 16, 1983, a show aired on TV that was called Motown 25 Yesterday, Today, and Forever. It was a televised special celebration of the creation of the famous label. The show wanted artists to perform older hits, and that included Jackson, who they wanted to perform some Jackson 5 material. Jackson had a new song called Billie Jean that he was adamant about performing, but they weren't letting old artists like Marvin Gaye perform any of his new songs. Jackson was able to convince them and perform Billie Jean. Even though it only lasted 2.5 seconds, his performance featured a new dance move called the Moonwalk that would blow people away. Most everyone saw this show, and those who didn't at least saw the clip of this startling moonwalk. Kids would start to practice it out on the playground at recess all over schools. That was maybe just me? Okay, moving on. Again, Michael Jackson was already a star, but this performance helped to excel him even further. After that performance, Thriller started selling a million copies a week, and you can still watch this on YouTube. The moonwalk is around the 412 mark if you're watching the performance. I know it's so redundant to say, but it's just mind-blowing what an unbelievable performer Michael Jackson really was. And while we're on the subject, can we just point out the track list from Thriller? The album starts with the incredible wannabe starting something before going into Baby Be Mine and then The Girl Is Mine with Paul McCartney. That leads in to Thriller, then Beat It, followed by Billie Jean. I'm trying to put myself back in the shoes of people when they heard this for the first time, especially that three song stretch, which has to be one of the most remarkable in recorded history. The sensory overload must have been astounding. It would be a little while after it was released, but I distinctly remember to this day the very first time I heard Beat It. The album then pulls everything back with Human Nature, Pretty Young Thing, and finishes up with The Lady in My Life. And MTV still wasn't playing him. Walter Yetnikoff had finally had enough. Yetnikoff was the head of CBS Records and said the color barrier had to be broken. He cursed out MTV and was going to hold back any music from CBS from being played on MTV unless they started to play Billie Jean. He was going to pull the entire CBS roster and was going all in on Michael Jackson. Billie Jean was added in, but not right away. A normal rotation would involve a video being played at least two to three times, and that didn't include Billie Jean until it hit number one on Billboard. It then went into this medium rotation, but then by March of 1983, it went into heavy rotation. And this was just one week before Beat It was to come out. The move by Yetnikov and the power MTV now had was instrumental in the astronomical success of Michael Jackson. This move also opened the floodgate for a new generation of black artists. MTV started to regularly play artists like Prince, Eddie Grant, Donna Summer, Herbie Hancock, and Lionel Richie. At the 1984 Grammys, Michael Jackson would state that Yetnikoff was, quote, the best president of any record company, unquote. Talking about Michael Jackson has, of course, become more problematic in recent years, but his story is so critical in the success of MTV. When it came time for the video for Thriller, it caused another one of those pop culture seismic shifts. The long-form Thriller video completely changed the way music videos were approached and made. Music videos, which had always been based on performances, could now tell stories. Music videos could be art. They really could be these actual mini-movies. 
Again, I may sound like a broken record here, but if it's been a while since you've seen the Thriller video, definitely check it out again. This thing is astonishing. Michael Jackson, the Thriller album, the Thriller video, all of it would help open up more pop and R&B music being played on MTV. And we were about to experience a brand new art form. If hip-hop had come out earlier, I don't know if it would have survived as a music genre, or at least not grown to the levels it did. Because if Michael Jackson wasn't being played in the early 80s, there was probably no way they would have played rap videos. But in the early 80s, hip-hop was starting to pick up steam. Thanks to Michael Jackson, the doors had opened wider for this new form of music to be embraced and shared. Artists that would be big hits on MTV would include Run DMC, LL Cool J, The Fat Boys, The Beastie Boys. And it would be a giant crossover that would also make a mark on the culture and music videos. The band Aerosmith had been big through the 70s, but was kind of fading going into the 80s. And then in the MTV era. They had their string of hits and in 1975 had released a song called Walk This Way. Run DMC, made up of Joseph Run Simmons, Daryl DMC McDaniels, and Jason Jam Master Jay Mazzell, were working on their album Raising Hell. It was being produced by an upstart young producer named Rick Rubin. At the recording studio, Rubin pulled out an album called Toys in the Attic, and the members of Run DMC would use it to freestyle over. Run DMC had only heard the first few seconds of the song and had no idea who Aerosmith was, but Rubin presented the idea of remaking the song. Simmons and McDaniels weren't into it, but Jam Master Jay was. Eventually, they all came around and recorded it with Joe Perry and Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. The song caught on and was unique as it was playing on both rock and urban stations. Run DMC was also the first hip-hop group to be played on rock radio. When it came time to make a video for it, they created a musical duel between two different studios that ends up with Tyler knocking down the wall into a joint performance. It was a symbolic image of breaking down walls and barriers. There didn't need to be divisions and we could enjoy rock and rap. Walk This Way became the first hip-hop video to be played in heavy rotation on MTV and relaunched the career of Aerosmith. Fun fact, the Walk This Way video was made for only $67,000. And besides Perry and Tyler, none of the band performing are the other members of Aerosmith. It was also said that Steven Tyler was hesitant to make the video as he didn't want them to look stupid or appear that they were being made fun of. So we've covered the British invasion, new music genres, hip-hop, and Michael Jackson. But if there was one performer that truly represented the MTV generation, it was one artist, and one artist only, born in Michigan, but who ended up in New York City, Madonna Louise Ciccone. If there was a true breakout star for the MTV era, it would have to be Madonna. Sure, Michael Jackson can be considered, but I believe Madonna was more important. The first thing is, Michael Jackson had already been famous for years. Madonna capitalized on the new artistic expression that could be used in music videos better than anybody ever had. I think you could say that no one since has made better use of presenting themselves and their art. Madonna showed us that music and music videos could be tied to fashion and art, but she didn't get there right away. Madonna had a few big hits in the early 80s with songs like Burning Up, but they were mostly club-based songs. 
Madonna then released Holiday, which was the third single off her album and her first international top 10 hit. And it was her presentation that was compelling. Madonna had a unique style that included a lot of lace tops, shirts over capri pants, fishnet stockings, jewelry, bracelets, bleached hair. This would influence a style emulated all over North America and the world. You could say Madonna created the signature look of the entire decade. And if you had to sum up the look, the sound, style, attitude, tone, and essence of the entire 1980s, you could honestly just use Madonna to represent it all. Madonna's next studio album, Like a Virgin, would push her to the next level. The title track, Like a Virgin, would not only catapult her popularity, but introduce another way to use MTV to create a stir, controversy. The video for Like a Virgin agitated a lot of conservative organizations, but it only increased her popularity. Madonna would be the first woman to sell over 5 million copies of an album. The album would end up certified diamond and would sell over 21 million copies. MTV was instrumental in sharing Madonna's music and image, but she would push things even further with a little performance at the still new MTV Video Music Awards. Madonna would perform Like a Virgin, which started out with her on top of a wedding cake and would end up with her rolling around the stage for most of the song. It's considered one of the most iconic performances of all time by critics and MTV itself. Their performance skyrocketed her popularity and increased her fame overnight. These were the days when entire careers could be made in one show or performance, and this was the power of MTV. This is still an era where there were very few things to watch on TV, so there was a good chance a large majority of the country was tuning in. One big moment on TV could launch the career of singers, bands, comedians, and performers. There had never been a time when so many people were instantly influenced by pop culture, and this is what MTV created. They were helping to create and define the popular culture, and they could do it in real time. Madonna would continue to release other monster hits and accompanying videos including Material Girl, Crazy For You, Into The Groove, Papa Don't Preach, True Blue, Open Your Heart, and Who's That Girl? Madonna took the controversy to the next level with the video for Like A Prayer. If you remember this time from 1989, you remember the massive backlash that involved her, the music video, and Pepsi. But that story will have to wait for another time. Madonna really is one of the most important artists in history. Madonna and MTV came around at the exact right time and each was instrumental in the success of the other. Even up to the 2022 awards, Madonna is still being nominated for VMAs. The artist who pretty much created the VMAs as we know them continues to be an influence to this day. There's so much history to cover with MTV that we could be here for days. I mainly wanted to cover the period from its conception and then launch into the 80s. Over the coming decades, there would of course be many monumental videos and moments that would become significant parts of pop culture, especially the MTV Video Music Awards, as they have become must-see TV. If you ever wondered why they started handing out the Moon Man as the award at the MTV Video Music Awards, it's a tribute to the early days of MTV, the use of NASA space footage, and the very first image shown on MTV, the astronaut on the moon holding a flag. 
The awards show was a major event where you knew something crazy was going to go down. And it's been like that since its very debut in 1984 when Madonna performed Like a Virgin. The VMAs was something you dare not miss unless you wanted to be completely out of the loop. This is how MTV continued to influence pop culture well into the 90s, 2000s, and to this day. If the videos weren't controversial enough, MTV would give you a double whammy with live performances and moments at the VMAs. Some of those moments over the years have included Sam Kinison going really off script, Madonna, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera, Taylor Swift and Kanye West, Eminem, Paul Rubens, aka Pee Wee Herman, Tim from Rage Against the Machine, Madonna again, Britney Spears and the Python, Howard Stern, Lady Gaga's Meat Dress, the Van Halen reunion drama, Madonna again, Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley, and my personal favorite, the night Andrew Dice Clay got banned from MTV for life. Think how bad you have to be to get banned from MTV. That was also the same night when a fight broke out between Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue. I do really miss the 80s sometimes. The point is that MTV has been the cornerstone of all things pop culture since it first debuted back in the early 80s. The channel had an immediate impact and continued to attract viewers and create pop culture moments. Even if you never saw them, you definitely know some of those VMA moments I just mentioned. And you probably even saw a lot of them because they were impossible not to hear about. That's the power of MTV. But when it came to the actual music videos themselves, things have obviously changed. Heading into the mid-90s, the play music videos started to drop big time. Between 1995 and 2000, music videos were played 36.5% less. Music videos went from being played at least 8 hours a day down to 3. The shift of MTV changed with the advent of reality television. Shows like The Real World, Singled Out, The Osbournes, Punked, Pimp My Ride, That Piece of Garbage Show with Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey, up to the juggernaut that was Jersey Shore. They became the cornerstone of the channel. MTV would eventually stop playing music videos. With the advancements of YouTube and online sources, there really wasn't any point. We could access anything instantly and no one was going to wait around to watch something on TV, not knowing when it may or may not be played. MTV is a cultural institution and really serves as the backbone of the entire 1980s. It's when artists were able to really express and present themselves beyond just the music. Music videos created a new way that artists could connect with their fans and the videos evolved into a brand new art form. A lot of times, a good video could make up for a poor song, and a great song could become iconic with the right music video. The 80s was this great explosion of pop culture, and MTV was absolutely at the forefront of this new revolution. So let's finish it there. Thank you for listening and spending the time with me here today. I know there are a ton of podcasts out there, so the fact you're spending your time with me means a lot, and I appreciate you being here. If you're new here, I hope you find a bunch of topics from the previous episodes that you love, and I hope you'll come back every Wednesday as I cover all our favorite things from the greatest decade. But make it easy by just subscribing so you automatically get the shows when they're released. And if you're in a position to do so, you can consider supporting the show over at patreon.com. So that's the platform for as little as a few bucks a month. You can support the show, but the difference there is you get different audio rewards and there are various tiers. Uh, One tier includes the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast. And I mentioned David Bowie in this episode, and that ties in with the latest movie review over there. 
that is Labyrinth. So look at the perfect synchronicity there. So if you're interested, if you want to learn more, you can head to patreon.com slash 80. So that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash 80S. Or wherever you're listening to this on, in the show notes or description, there should be a link that'll take you right there. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.